0: For years, police suspected a double murder in Milwaukee and a single victim in Raymond, Wisconsin were connected. But it would take years before a tip came in telling them how. And the information sent two murderers to prison. I'm Charlie and welcome to Crimelines. Welcome to day 11 of 12 Days of Crime Lines. At this point, I don't need to tell you what this is all about. We are nearing the end, and this is the last mini-episode. Tomorrow, day 12, is a full-length episode. I do want to thank Chesney for sending this suggestion in. It is one I had not heard before, and I appreciate when the listeners help broaden my horizons to cases. This case starts shortly after 6 a.m., On February 7th, 2000, the police in Raymond, Wisconsin were called for a report of a dead body on the side of a country road. Raymond is about a half hour outside of Milwaukee. The body was of a slim Hispanic woman between the ages of 35 and 45. Though this was a country road, the body had been left by the curb right in front of a private residence. It hadn't been hidden in any way. The residents who lived in the house nearest to the body had already left for work by the time it was found. Both the husband and the wife, though, said they didn't see anything when they drove away. It's very likely that was because it was dark out, all signs indicated to the body having been there for hours. Near the body were tire tracks in the snow as well as a lot of blood. Based on the amount of blood, it was believed the woman wasn't just dumped there. She had been shot on the side of the road and left where she fell. Though she had been shot in front of this house, The residents of that house and the neighbors did not hear anything in the overnight hours, nothing like a gunshot or squealing tires. The body was found with some sort of identification, but the police were not sure it was something that belonged to the victim. There was no photo on it, so they hesitated to release the name to the public in the event it wasn't her. Instead, they released a description of the woman and asked for people to come forward if they thought they knew who she was. And this turned out to be really good thinking on the investigator's part because whatever name was found with the woman wasn't her name, and had they released that, they wouldn't have gotten a tip as to who she really was. It was shortly after her description was announced that a friend of hers came forward. He said he thought this sounded like 39-year-old Juanita Zadroik. When he was shown a morgue photo of the Jane Doe, he confirmed the identification. Juanita lived in Milwaukee and was the mother of three children ages 21, 13, and three. Her son, Zachary, the 13-year-old, last saw his mother when they were at his older sister's house having dinner and he was waiting on his dad to pick him up. They were having Singapore noodles, which was Juanita's favorite food, And he was doing what teenagers do best, and he was eating all of it. And Juanita was getting after him a little bit about it. Such a normal family moment, and it would end up being the last time he saw her. And it wasn't long after this that Zachary was in school, and his father showed up to pull him out of class early. He then broke the news to Zachary that his mother had been killed, and they didn't know who did it four years, things were just a blur for Juanita's children who had to deal with losing their mom and not getting answers. After high school, Zachary enlisted in the Marines, and when he returned to Milwaukee as an adult, he started calling the police to find out what was going on with his mother's case. At this point, the case had been unsolved for years, but there was still a lot of holdback information the police had. Things like how soon after the murder, Juanita's car was found in Milwaukee and it had been torched. It was found near the site of a double murder that was discovered the same day Juanita's body was found. So the investigators believed the two cases were likely connected somehow. In that case, Lamont Cole and Samuel Burns, a father and son, were found shot to death in an alley in Milwaukee near where Juanita's car was found. The theory that these two cases were connected was confirmed pretty early on when DNA evidence from both crime scenes came back. A small amount of Lamont Cole's blood was found on Juanita's pants. But that would be the last major break in this case for a decade. It was 2010 when a man came forward to play Let's Make a Deal. His name was Aladio Hernandez, and he had been arrested for armed robbery and battery not long after being put on probation for a different armed robbery. He was not looking forward to the long prison sentence he was facing on the new charges as well as the probation violation. Aladio told the investigators he had information on three unsolved murders that occurred when he was just 16 years old. Though he was 16, he was involved in the Milwaukee drug trafficking scene. He said not only did he know what happened in all three murders, he was an eyewitness. Eladio said there was another man who witnessed this with him, alias Burgos, who was 19 at the time. Eladio said that a bunch of people were near a house where they were doing and or selling drugs. In the alley, there was a drug deal gone wrong and a man named Jose Sanchez shot and killed Lamont Cole and Samuel Burns. Jose's girlfriend, whose name was Juanita Zadroik, was there when they were shot, and she immediately began hysterically crying at the sight of two men being killed in front of her. They managed to calm Juanita down a bit, and a man named Miguel Cruz suggested they get Juanita out of town so she wouldn't give anything up in her distressed state. They were going to give her some money and a new car in exchange for her keeping quiet. Juanita would need a new car since they worried the one she was driving would be linked to the crime either through an eyewitness or because of evidence on it so they decided to torch it before they left town. So Juanita, Miguel, and Eladio got into a van while Elias drove. Juanita was, according to Eladio, still visibly upset and crying. They were headed south on I-94 toward Chicago when Miguel told Elias to get off the interstate in Raymond, Wisconsin, about 15 to 20 minutes into the drive to Chicago. Miguel said he wanted to meet up with some friends. As they drove down Highway K, a rural little highway, Miguel told Elias to pull over. Miguel then told Juanita to get out of the van. She must have sensed that things were taking a turn, and she refused to get out. So Miguel got out, and he pulled Juanita from the van. She kept struggling, trying to hold onto the van to stay inside. While holding Juanita with one arm, Miguel put his gun to her head and shot her. He dropped her in the snow, said something like, that's what happens to snitches, and then they drove off. Eladio said that Elias actually ran the body over twice to make sure Juanita was dead, which surprised me because there was nothing in any of what I saw in the reporting indicating her body was run over but it did end up in the criminal complaint drawn up, so I think this may have been a piece of information that was held back, and it did help verify Eladio's story. Eladio's tip gave the investigators the first major break they had had in a decade for the murders, so they began pursuing two lines of investigation, one into Jose Sanchez for the murders of Lamont Cole and Sean Burns, and another into Miguel Cruz and alias Burgos for the murder of Juanita Zadroik. Jose Sanchez ended up pleading guilty to the double murder in 2012, and I wish I could tell you more about Lamont and Sean and their case, but there is next to nothing out there about it. I'm going to chalk this up to the fact that it was a double murder in the course of a drug sale. We talk about which cases get media attention and which don't, And I will say that Black men engaged in the drug trade being murdered during a drug transaction are near or at the bottom of the list of cases that get covered. It took a few more years before the investigation into Juanita's murder led to any arrests. The arrest warrants were announced in September 2017 after Miguel Cruz was tracked down and arrested in Tampa, Florida. The whereabouts of Alias Burgos were unknown at the time, but they announced they believed he lived in Puerto Rico. He was, in fact, in Puerto Rico, but they didn't have to do very much to look for him. After the announcement that an arrest warrant was issued, someone told him about it. So Alias bought a plane ticket, he flew to Milwaukee, he hired an attorney, and he turned himself in. In the 17 years since Juanita's murder, Ilias had completely turned his life around. The 36-year-old was living clean and sober with a family of his own. And though he didn't come forward before the arrest warrant, he did cooperate with the investigation after, and he backed up Eladio's story about Miguel shooting Juanita to keep her quiet about the other murders. Though Alias was initially charged with first-degree murder, the homicide charges were dropped in a plea deal. He ended up pleading guilty to two felony counts of harboring and aiding a felon, two counts of attempted bribery of a witness, and one count of intimidation of a witness with use or attempted force. These were all felonies. The prosecution, due to Alias's age at the time of the crime and his cooperation, recommended a sentence of 8 to 10 years. Elias asked for forgiveness at the sentencing hearing, and Juanita's children said they wanted to forgive him, but they just weren't there yet. The judge acknowledged the reasons that led to the state's sentencing request, but said it still just was not enough time for what he did, for the long-term effects of his choices, and for the 17 years of silence. The judge gave Alias Burgos 13 years, which is three more than the state requested. Miguel Cruz was not making a deal, and as the suspected shooter with two eyewitnesses against him, the state wasn't really about to offer him one. Due to COVID-19, the trial was delayed until February 2021. Miguel was found guilty after a five-day trial. At sentencing, it was pointed out that Miguel had gotten out of the drug scene in the years since. When not in prison, Miguel worked as a youth minister. He tried to mentor teens to avoid making the same mistakes he made in his life. Miguel spoke, and he said he was sorry for the pain the family experienced, but he insisted he was innocent. From behind bars, he would fight for his freedom while fighting to find out who really killed Juanita but to believe Miguel would be to say that both of the other men were lying. The jury didn't buy it, and neither did the judge. Miguel was given a mandatory life sentence with parole eligibility after 30 years. He will be in his early 70s at that point. For Juanita's children, justice was slow, but it was welcome. Juanita was a person who gave everything to those around her. She worked with disabled individuals as her career. She took good care of her children. So for someone with as much empathy as Juanita had, she witnessed a violence beyond what she could imagine that day. And then, because of what she witnessed, she became a victim. But thanks to a tip, no matter what the motivation was behind that tip, Her killers and the murderer of Lamont Cole and Sean Burns are all now behind bars.